0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Life with GDPR. This is the podcast series where, together with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at quarterly Compliance in London, we take a look at data privacy, data protection, and all issues related to GDPR, English data protection law, and data protection, and data privacy laws in the United States. It's a podcast that every compliance practitioner needs to be a listened to and be a part of the discussion going forward for this most important issue in compliance today. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Life with GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Quarterly in London, for another episode of Life with GDPR. We are recording this on October 23rd. Uh, at the SCCE 2018 Compliance and Ethics Institute in Las Vegas. And I thought, uh, given the um, venue, the location, the topics we've heard over the past couple of days, Jonathan, this would be a great time to ask, for me to ask the question and you to answer, where are we now? So uh, we have explored this topic uh, in May of uh, 2018. I think we explored it in July. And uh, I was just wondering kind of where are your practices? What you're seeing from clients? Are you seeing same questions, different questions? Are you seeing the regulators uh, move in directions that uh, either were anticipated or even unanticipated over the past few months?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think if I'm being completely honest, I'd say not that many surprises. I think there's obviously a huge volume of complaints, a huge volume of data breach reports. I personally am not that surprised by the volume um, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's right across Europe most of the regulators that are reporting are reporting big numbers you know, even some of the smaller German DPAs like you know, Brandenburg for example are over, are over 50 <clears throat> um, uh, complaints that they are tracking as complaints some of the regulators are trying to play with statistics slightly different ways in that they're uh, classifying complaints versus comments, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, regulators like the UK Ireland for example, are pretty busy. They're on about ballpark, I guess an average of about a hundred um, uh, data breach reports a week and 120, 150 complaints a week. so there's some significant uh, cases kicking about. There are more than 100 IMI cases, and IMI cases are those that are cross-border, that are lodged in a system that is supervised by the European Data Protection Board. So we know that there are IMI cases against the usual suspects, Facebook, Google. I know that um, Uber, for example, is an IMI case that has been assigned to the Dutch regulator to lead a pan-European investigation of Uber's privacy practices. So there are some significant and meaty cases about. There have been no fines as yet under GDPR. I don't regard that as a surprise. If I'm a regulator with a new law like GDPR, I am I can be pretty certain that my first few cases are going to be appealed. I'd want them to be nailed on actions, particularly if I'm going to go towards the higher end of the fine scale. We are going to see a significant number of appeals. Uh, As I say, my colleague Andre Bywater has done quite a bit of work on uh, the appeal process. It is similar to some appeal processes that have uh, existed under different uh, EU regimes and the likelihood of people appealing some of the early cases, I think, is significant. And we have seen that already with what uh, may be the first GDPR enforcement action It's against an outfit called uh, Aggregate IQ. It's not a fine case, it's a stop processing notice. And we've said before, Tom, in these podcasts that it's not all about the money, money, money. Sometimes you've got to look at the other things that a regulator can do to you which could cause more harm. The Aggregate IQ case is a good illustration of that. The notice from the UK regulator says to Aggregate IQ, a Canadian business, you must not process any data on UK or EU individuals, the regulator's word, presumably Brexit-related. UK or EU individuals, full stop, period, stop it now. Um, Aggregate IQ are appealing that. Uh, I have seen the uh, appellate tribunals uh, register, so I know that the, uh, the, the, the appeal is lodged, Uh, I can't tell you a date, I can't tell you the nature of that appeal. I've uh, asked Aggregate IQ, but they're not for sharing. So I'd speculate that what's happening here is that Aggregate IQ are probably appealing on one of two bases. Either they're saying GDPR doesn't apply to Canadian entities. I would have said that's unlikely to be a good grounds for appeal. And here's the reasoning. Uh, if it, uh, if it, uh, if you are monitoring the behaviour, for example, of individuals in the EU, then GDPR applies. GDPR says it applies, and if you're not monitoring their behaviour, why are you appealing a notice that tells you to stop processing their data? Um, so I think you're either, you know, you're either in or you're out. So I'm not sure that's a great basis for appeal. I would speculate and say their other basis for appeal is that they collected the data prior to GDPR coming in, and that they should be judged under the old law, which had less ability for extraterritoriality uh, rather than the post-GDPR regime. I'd also suspect that that isn't a nailed-on grounds for appeal. The definition of processing (coughs) under GDPR is pretty wide, so... Consulting the data, storing the data, transmitting the data, all count as processing. So even if I acquire your business card from you prior to 25th of May and I look at it post 25th of May, I think at its widest that's still processing. If I ingest it into my CRM system post 25th of May, that's processing. If I ingest it into my CRM system, prior to May 25th, but I keep hosting that CRM system with your data on it post May 25th, and I think that's under the GDPR regime. So I'd be fascinated to see what their grounds for appeal are. Some of these early appeals are going to be won. We've seen that under the PICA regime, which is the law on um, unsolicited marketing communications, where the ICO has just lost a PICA appeal. So these appeals can succeed. It'll be fascinating to see Uh, what's happening in in aggregate IQ when when we get more knowledge of that. And there's probably a couple of other things that I think are standout things in my mind. First of all, the predictions that we had that data subject rights would be used creatively by individuals are certainly true. We're dealing with many cases looking at uh, data subjects, particularly subject access uh, requests, some right-to-be-forgotten requests, I'm not going to talk about any of those uh, in, a, uh, in a public or a private forum except to the clients that we're acting for. But needless to say, there are definitely some innovative uses of new rights under GDPR, particularly from uh, departing employees or departed uh, employees, particularly from aggrieved consumers, customers, Uh, Etc. So I think that's a watch this space. More will become public on that shortly, I think. One thing that's a brewing illustration of that is a dispute uh, that's connected with the abortion debate in Ireland. And uh, again, this is a case that isn't uh, yet public. It's not one that I'm professionally involved with. But as an illustration, my understanding is that uh, uh, let's keep this discreet and call it Group A and Group B. Group A are on one side of the uh, abortion debate. You'll remember that Ireland have had recent elections. Group B are on the other side. Group A decide that they can diminish the resources of Group B, their political opponents, by making subject access requests. And they're using them a little bit like DDoS attacks in an information security context they uh, seem to have got 425 people who have at least taken the first step in uh, making a subject access request and and Group A make those subject access requests against Group B on the same date at the same time. Their purpose seems to be if you're a small campaigning organisation You've got 425 subject access requests to deal with. From our uh, uh, straw poll amongst clients, subject access request takes about 150 to 200 man hours per request to deal with. So you do the math, you've got 425 uh, individuals, it's going to take you ballpark 175 hours per individual, and you're a political campaigning group with very scarce resources. Uh, their view is that they'll be able to do nothing other than deal with subject access requests. Of course, they've got a month to deal with them. In extremis, they can get a two-month exception, uh, uh, extension. They might be able to get the extension. But my understanding is that in this case, the organization B didn't really realize what had hit them until after a month was up. So they didn't trigger the extension. They've missed the deadline. And they're trying to argue that that there are some caveats to subject access requests, including, and I'm I'm summarising if it's uh, uh, excessive or or unreasonable. But here, you see, it's very difficult to reject all 425 on the basis of excessive and unreasonable because you've got to look at each request individually. You can't look at them as a group of 425. And, and, And I think that's what GDPR says. I've spoken with, uh, with the Commissioner in Ireland and with the UK on, the, on this very point uh, previously. And I think that must be right. You've got to look at... You can reject any of the 425 that are manifestly unreasonable or excessive in isolation. But, but if none of the 425 are, are unreasonable or excessive individually they don't all become unreasonable and excessive just because 425 are made at the same time and the same day. So I think DCRs is going to be, is that data subject rights, is, is going to be a real area of pressure. We're already seeing a head of steam behind some people with existing grievances coming back and using those new rights. And then the last area that I'd concentrate on is data breaches. Data breaches are where the compliance professional, where the information security professional earns their spurs at the moment. Um, we know from the Equifax case that we've talked about that data breaches are a board-level responsibility. We're seeing non-executive directors involved in data breaches. They are. It, it is critical to act quickly. Every single data breach we have handled since GDPR came in has involved weekend working. Every single data breach we've been involved with since GDPR came in has involved people extending their working hours to get analytics done at 11 o'clock at night or <clears throat> to try and plug the gap and work around the clock. Some organisations uh, are, are using a follow-the-sun model. So we've, we've a data breach at the moment where the client has got teams on the west coast of the U.S., and in, uh, I gave it away, a location in Europe, and they're passing work to each other at the end so that they can use their 72 hours really wisely to make sure that they're continually working without having any one individual do more than a 12-hour shift. They're very organized, you know, working like a production shift pattern to deal with a compliance episode. I think that's very advanced thinking. I think that's, you know, great from a process point of view, but there's obviously all sorts of impact. Um, I don't expect sympathy for the external lawyers, but even from our point of view, it's very difficult to to get people who are true experts in this space and to staff a case 24-7-365, but we're finding out that the the post-GDPR reality is that. So data breaches are absolutely it's critical to have a proper response to data breaches. We've already seen some significant failings. And things that seem relatively trivial, losing a file, losing a laptop, having a laptop stolen. We've had a spell of hot weather in, uh, in the summer in the EU, which hasn't helped because people leave windows open, they work outdoors, and they lose more devices. As a result, they're more prone to theft, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these things, I think, have had an impact on the number of data breaches that have been reported but that's truly significant. And particularly when we see that shareholders are very interested in GDPR compliance, cases like the Nielsen case, for example, show us that you might have a regulator to answer to. You might have to answer to your shareholders. Theoretically, you might have to answer to your stock exchange and their regulators as well, if you have a data breach and you don't take it seriously and you trade shares or whatever. So all of these things, I think, create the perfect storm in connection with data breaches, and and obviously you need a proper plan and you need to rehearse that plan. and You need to make sure that everybody knows their roles and responsibilities, because data breaches are inevitable. Every major corporation will face at least two serious data breaches each year. We have to recognise that data breaches are a when, not if, for every major corporation. With that in mind, you have to invest the resources or the when, not the if.
0: Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to replace document, 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 but I may supplement <laughs> it with rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Well, Jonathan, this has been a fascinating exploration, yet another topic of Life with GDPR. Uh, thank you for uh, the, uh, the excellent insights. My pleasure. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jonathan at jonathan.armstrong at quarterycompliance.com. Hope you'll join us again for another episode of Life with GDPR. Life with GDPR is part of the Compliance Podcast Network.